as I was studying this word, I, I have a computer program in my computer. It's called Logos. It has multiple commentaries. It has over a thousand books in it. It has the Greek. It has the Hebrew. I'm chasing butterflies all over the place when I'm studying on this. But what I love is that when we are focused on what the Holy Spirit has a word for us today, I light up. Well, I'm lit up this morning to share with you in a word that God has for you. Are you ready to receive this? Because he wants to talk to you, but, but, but he wants our full attention. So, so what I'm going to pray is that, well, we keep our eye on the goal here. Now, that's the title of the message and what I'm dealing with the wise men. Keep your eye on the goal. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, good morning. It's your church. We're here gathered together to worship you. Lord, I welcome this congregation. I welcome those who are online. We come together to hear what you have to say to us. It's beyond what I'm saying, but what the Spirit is saying to each and every one of us. So allow our minds to be well brought into captivity, that we will hear what you have to say, not allow anything else that is trying to press in on us in this day, but only you. And we will give you the glory for what is about to be revealed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You know, this message is keeping our eye on the goal is, is a great word for us coming to the end of 2020. And how many of you can't wait for 2020 to be over? Amen to that, huh? Well, I tell you something, is that it's more than just 2020 being over. It is what the Lord wants to do in our lives today and even tomorrow. But I need to be focused on, on that goal. What is it that you want him to do this year, today, five years from now? Well, I find it intriguing that about only 3% of the people really write down what their goals may be. Now, that 3%, 95% of those people that write down what their goals are really accomplish them. You see, if you don't know where you are going, you're never going to know if you got there. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, I love his word, and, and, and the theme for this series is making Christmas relevant. And, and it's more than just relevant, it's, it's powerful, his word, what he has to share with us. I want us to keep our eye on that goal. And, and when we look at the wise men, we can see what, um, learn something about their behavior. I, I was on staff at a church for 19 years, 15 that years for one, with one pastor. And his name was Tom Paino. Now, I didn't have too many opportunities really just to sit down in his office and us have a one-on-one -on -one and him mentoring me. But I'm telling you something. I watched his life. And that man was above reproach. He was a man of prayer. He was, he was a man for missions to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was a man of the word. And I saw that lived out before him. And I learned so much by watching 
how he lived. Well, I want us to take a look at the wise men or the magi or the, 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 the uh, three kings or the amigos. I don't know what you want to call them, you know, and that is, is they have so many different titles on it. But these, these, these individuals lived a life that was, well, they knew how to keep their eye on the goal. So let's take a look at what they were doing. So steps to achieve your goal. Number one, decide what you want. Duh. But you know what? So many people, they're not sure what they want. They're, they're, they'll go, you know, if you do that in, in, in trying to grow spiritually and, and don't know what you want, it's like going in a grocery store and saying, wow, all this food, I don't know what I want. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I want. Ended up going home and leaving all the groceries there. Well, number two, decide how to get that. Well, you really do need to know if you know what you want. How am I going to get it? But it doesn't always mean that you're going to give it. If number three, if you don't develop a discipline um, to arrive at that goal, because there, it cost us something. I recently read an article on goal setting and that which some facts, well, really affect us in this message today. Do you know that out of 100 people, it's just by random, you get 100 people, 23 of those people will not know what they want. You, you take 100 people, Take away 23 people, that only leaves you 77 people who might know what they want. But 23 of them would eliminate themselves. Uh, there's times I, I would go to people and I would say, uh, hey, what's the Lord saying to you? And they would get this glaze over their eyes, you know. I don't know. How am I supposed to know what he's saying? I got a news bulletin for you. Ask him. Because he really wants to tell you. So out of that 77, 76 of them really don't know how to get there. So now, now we only have 10 people left about this goal setting. And out of that 10, only two of them will be willing to pay the price to get there. 2%. Well, looking at these wise men, boy, they were that 2%. They, they understood what it, what it meant. So let's take a look at what they're teaching us here. Number one, they knew what they wanted. Now, how do you know what you want? Oh, it's, it's that issue of communication. These wise men were Chaldeans. They were stargazers. They understood the heavens. They studied the stars. And when they saw this star in the, in the sky that was very unusual, was like none other, obviously they understood the word somewhat because they knew that the king of the Jews was going to be born. And this had to be that star that was going to tell them. So they understood what they wanted. They wanted to find that Messiah. And so they went looking for him. Listen to this in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one 
who has been born king of the Jews. So they understood. We saw this, his star when it arose and have come to worship him. See, the message of Christmas is communication of our own language. You see, the, the, the Magi, they understood the stars. So how did God speak to them? He spoke to them through the star. The shepherd men, they understood angels. They understood the, the Old Testament. They would probably sit on the hillside, all the theology about angels. And how did the, the um, shepherds, how did they hear about the birth of Christ? Through an angel. I love what I love about God is that he has ability to be able to know how to communicate to us. So, so the Christmas story is this communication that God wants to have with us. And the story is of the incarnation. Well, that's not a common word that we hear these days. And, and, and if you are not familiar with Christianity in the birth of Christ, you may not understand what in the world incarnation actually is. See, I want to take a moment to talk to you about Christmas, what Christmas is all about. And, and it's going to be, well, I don't want to get too deep in theology. I love theology, but sometimes if we get so deep in it, I could wow you in that knowledge of Christ. You say, wow, that was great. But then you say, what does it have to do with me? How could I make it relevant within my life? But I want you to know that God speaks to us by bringing his son into the flesh, what we are, what is called incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. So what I want you to do is go to 1 John in the very first chapter. Now, how do you get there? Go to the end of your Bible, turn left. Go Revelation, Jude, John 3, 2, 1, you're there. It's very simple. Now, as you're looking that up in 1 John 1, I want to talk to you just for a moment of reading out of John, the Gospel of John, same writer. It's in John 1, verses 1 and 2. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You see, John describes Christ coming into this world as the word. Now, let's go to that first John, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll start with. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our, uh, looked at and our hands have touched. This we, we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is God in the flesh. We have heard, we have seen, we have touched. Life appeared. Oh, man. Sometimes we read the word, we read it so fast and so well, not cautiously, we just go past it real quick. The, the life appeared. We have seen it 
and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Wow. Incarnation. Emmanuel. The birth of Christ. He is with us. We proclaim, we declare, we shout out, we Facebook, we text, we do anything we can. We're letting people know that we proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. We want you to have that common understanding, fellowship. Because I'm going to talk to you about something. I'm going to talk to you about something that I have seen that I have heard, that I have touched. Now I could talk to you about this, and we could have this fellowship with this. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You see, when you have seen something that is absolutely magnificent, when you heard something that was awe-striking, when you have touched something that was divine, how could you not share it? And when you share it, that brings fulfillment. That brings joy that is complete within me. John, as he began to talk about this incarnation, he wanted the people to know what he has seen, what he has heard, and what he has touched. He wanted them to know. But more importantly as well here, he wanted us to know 2,000 years later as well. That's why this is so important to read in the study and to understand. So let's go to verse 1. In verse 1, the word that, that, it is a neuter pronoun, which basically means it's hidden in identity. Something was from the beginning. Now, the word was is an imperfect active verb, which means it existed before its birth. What? What? How could something exist before its birth? That imperfect active verb in the Greek is something that has gone on before. Therefore, John said, that which was from the beginning. What he's actually saying is that this is something that was born in Bethlehem, existed before it existed in the flesh. Understand that? In other words, when Christ is born, that didn't begin his existence. He began before he was born in the flesh. He was and is the great I am. He was from the beginning. He always has been. Now, it's in talking about that, talking about that form of flesh, what John said, I want you to understand this beautiful Christmas story. God, the Christ child, was already in existence before the very beginning. Hmm. That which was from the beginning, which we have 
heard. Now, this phrase is a perfect tense, which means that it is functioning in the present right now. In other words, the writer is saying this as he's writing this 50 to 60 years after the birth of Christ. He is saying half a century has passed and his voice is still ringing in my ear. Wow, I could still hear him. Years ago, I had a recording of my mother's voice on my phone because it left a voice message, her voice. I kept that as long as I could, and somehow, with my vast technology and stuff, I lost it. And I miss that because I would love to hear that, that little five-foot Hungarian woman speaking to me. Hi, Tom. This is Mom. What is it that you wanted? <laughs> I, would, I would call her, and I would be talking to her for a while. Then I said, what is it that you want, Mom? She goes, did I call you? <laughs> I will be punished for that for some day. But here's, here's what I love, that ringing in my ears yet. I love this. John was saying, as I'm writing this day, that which that came was always in existence. It was born in Bethlehem. The voice of Jesus still rings in my ear. I still hear his voice. Whew. I still hear. Me too. He goes on and says, what we have seen with our eyes in that perfect tense. In other words, this intangible that became tangible in Bethlehem. I can still see him. I could still hear his voice. I could still mentally see him right now. Then he goes on and says this which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Now, it's interesting here, because now he's using this perfect tense, where we went from that, to goes to that Greek, that eros tense, which is that past tense, which means it's over. Hmm. In other words, what he's literally saying, it suddenly dawned on us who he was. This was God. And then he said, we no longer could hear, uh, no longer could hold him. We could no longer have this conversation with him. He is dead. He has gone back to heaven. The vision still, the vision yet still lingers. I can still hear his words. There's a time when we could, well, even touch him, but I can't. But yet I could have a sense of feeling him. Now he goes on and he says this. We beheld him, and our hands handled him concerning the word of light, that which was from the beginning. Well, really, the beginning, the beginning. 
which have which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim, proclaim concerning the word of life. In other words, the eternal something took on a physical being. Now, now let me let me give you a paraphrase of that, according to Tom Ricosi. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Something out of eternity entered the realm of human history and became audible. We heard it, and it still rings in my ears. It became visible, and we saw it, and the vision still lingers. It is comprehensible. Our minds grasp the fact that it was the Savior. It became physical. Our hands actually touch it. It was the very expression of life itself. Wow. Wow. Please hear this. God communicates exactly where we live. The Stanford research says that 89% of what we know is by what we see. Hmm. Only that 11%, 10% of that is, is the audible, the other, well, is uh, 10%, yeah, is audible, and 1% is, well, through our other senses. So what does God do? God communicates at Christmas time. The creator of the universe says, I want to be able to talk to these people. I want to do something. And that's what's so beautiful about the Christmas story. Because I want you to understand this love that was wrapped in a gift that was given to us by what we see. Now, I'm going to do a little survey here, okay? How many of you came to God because you heard the message? Anybody? Okay, several of you. How many of you came through music? A song touched your heart. Yes. How many of you came as someone witness to you? Yeah. Thank God for those people. How, how many of you came because someone has been praying for you? Absolutely. people. What about some of you, well, through the radio or TV? Someone, something spoke to you there. Well, well you know, that's interesting because is that not too many hands are raised on that, but I guarantee you that when Billy Graham was preaching on TV and he would have those messages broadcasted on mainstream um, television, thousands of people, millions of people were coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. How, how many of you read something and it led you to search? Absolutely. Maybe, here, here's a good one. How many of you went through a crisis in your life and you started to search and found Jesus? Mm, yeah. You see, between the first service, this service, and you online, every one of these statements, someone rose their hand in. 
You see, the Christmas story is our ability to communicate. Several years ago, we did a production of Easter, the death of Christ on a cross and his resurrection. At the end of that service, this little 11-year-old girl came up on the platform and looked at me, and she said, Pastor, Pastor, I says, what, sweetheart? She says, is that true? I says, what true? Is that true that that, that man died and three days later he rose again? I said, yes, it's true. She says, wow. She probably heard about it, but when she saw the production, it became real to her. I want you to know that God has a way to communicate to an 11-year-old on up. He has a way. And, And those of you who are praying for your loved ones to come to that knowledge of Christ. Don't give up. Because I promise you, he has a way. If he could speak to the shepherd man through an angel, or if he could speak to the magi through a star, he knows how to get to you. He knows where you are. The Christmas story is how God left the riches, the beauty of heaven, and came to earth. Well, it's like this. He says, I will give up power. I will give up the wealth. I'll give up all that there is that I could have to let you see me in the flesh, to relate to me and know who I am. I'm willing to do that because he knew we are so visual. He knew how to speak our language. Number two, the wise men were willing to pay the price. Now, these wise men, you may see I have my front yard. I have the manger seat in my front yard, and and it's cut out, wood cut out. It's really nice and painted very nice. I didn't do that, okay? Because if I cut it out, it would be, you know, some kind of abstract art or something of this sort, and I surely can't paint on it. But it's really nice. People stopped by and took pictures of it. I'm amazed that see people didn't stop by and took it. But, but they kind of leave it in my front yard. But, but, but in there, there's the, the shepherd men, and there's the sheep, and there's Mary and Joseph, and, and there's baby Jesus, and there is the magi. Well, they weren't there. Because it was a couple years later that actually they showed up. But thinking of that, couple years later that they showed up. That means they traveled for several years through the desert, through the raging rivers, through hostile territory. They showed that everything, that the cost of that traveling and following that star, they were willing to pay the price. Number three, the wise men would not give up. Matthew 2, 9 says this. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had, they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Did you hear that? Is that as they followed the star, it moved. Hmm. 
He followed the star, and it moved. It's, 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 it's like someone coming to me and they're saying, on a Wednesday night after service, it gets dark early, and, and they come running in and go, Pastor, Pastor, I can't find my way home. I can't see my home. I turned on my lights, and my house wasn't there. I says, well, news bulletin, your house is not in the parking lot. Your, your lights show a hundred or a couple hundred feet ahead of you. Just go in the right direction. And then just follow that light in the right direction, and it will bring you to the house. I want you to know is that as we follow Christ in the right direction, it will take us right to where we need to be. Now, lesson number four is the they experience the joy of reaching their goal. I love this verse. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. They weren't happy. They weren't glad. They weren't just joyful. They were overjoyed. Listen to me. You sitting at home and you in this auditorium, when, when we find Christ, when we become aware of his presence in our lives, there will be such magnificent joy that we have that it would be all-consuming. Because he cares about what is going on in our lives. It's, it's like, it's like um, you know, I, I want to be a victor. I want to be a, you know, a conqueror. But the scripture says that we can be more than a conqueror. When, when I experience Christ, it's not joy. It's overjoyed. It's beyond joy. It is it's just exhilarating to come in that awareness of the presence of an almighty God. It is illuminating. And it's like, well, let's say that there was this woman who lived out in the wilderness. She, she, she had a, a, a gas or an oil lamp that she would light at night to see. But she heard about this thing called electricity. And it was, came her way. So, so she was willing to pay the cost to get the house all hooked up with electricity. She got it all hooked up. And there was this, the electric company noticed a couple months after it was all on that her electric bill was so extremely low, they thought maybe something's malfunctioning. So they went to her house and they checked the meter and everything's working just fine. And they went, saw the lady and says, is your electricity working? She says, oh yeah, it's working just fine. She says, you use it? Oh, well, yeah. Every night when it gets dark, I turn the lights on. I go and light my lamp. Then I turn the lights off. Thinking, that just doesn't make sense. But, but here's the thing, that sometimes that's what we do, is, is that we, we, we come in that awareness, that overwhelming joy of inviting Christ to come into our life, and then we turn the lights out. 
we don't experience it. Here's so many people are chasing God's power when they should be dwelling in his presence. Can, can I repeat that? So many times that we are chasing God's power. I want to experience the all oh, the wonder, the power of Almighty God when we should be just dwelling in the beauty of his presence. See, finally, in closing, once they reached their goal, they made the most of it. <laughs> Verses 11 and 12 says this. On coming to the house, not the cave or not the manger, coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's a whole nother sermon there. But what they offered him is the best that they had. And they cherish the moment. They experience the presence. You see, in these days in which we are living, with the chaos and everything around us. Sometimes we are looking so far in the future that we're missing what is right in front of us. And I can experience that presence of an almighty God. And, and when I experience that presence of God, when that overwhelming joy floods my spirit, I have no other choice but to offer him the best that I have. That's my heart, my soul, my mind, all of me. Offer this. This is where I become a living sacrifice. Unto him, I offer myself the best who I can be. You see, my friend, in this Christmas season, Sometimes we're looking for everything to change around us. And what God is saying, I want to give you an overwhelming joy right where you are. In our first service, we had a word of prophecy. And that word of prophecy is said to us, the world is looking to have that joy because everything is good. But the uniqueness of experience, the presence of an almighty God, he could give you overwhelming joy when everything is not. And that's where that strength, that's where that understanding, that's where that awe of knowing that God is in control. I don't have to worry about the chaos of this world because I understand he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is where we are. And he's saying, pay attention. I want you to focus on, I am here. I am Emmanuel. Keep your eye on the goal. That is Christ alone, my friend. He is in our presence. So in this Christmas season, 
people go around us, they're wondering, what's wrong with you people? How could you be so happy? Because I could walk in the presence of an almighty God. I know he's with me. I know he has my best at heart. I know that he is in control. I don't have to have the all, all the answers. I don't even have to have a good day. I could have a bad day, but I still could be overwhelmed and joy in it because when I focus on him, he is greater than all those things. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, my friend. Emmanuel. And when I stay focused, keep my eye on the goal, Christ alone, then I celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. 